0: Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 40. Welcome back, Maniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. And crazy, 40 episodes in. Not quite as crazy, though, as the insane temperatures we've been dealing with here in Toronto. Major, major snowfall the beginning of last week into minus 30 temperatures. And I think it's the worst winter that I, I can remember. But knock wood, cross your fingers... Pray to the sweet Lord above that the worst is behind us, back up to about zero at the moment. Never thought I'd be so pleased to be at zero degrees. And what's even more crazy is there's cities that are dealing with even worse temperatures than we were. Chicago, I heard, going down to like minus 46 to the point where it is dangerous to be outside. My thoughts with those people because it was bad enough here, but at that point, it's you against Mother Nature, and you got to look out for yourself. you got to look out for each other. So I hope everyone is nice and cozy and warm listening to this podcast now. For those listening from down south, be grateful (laughs) that you did not experience what we have been experiencing up here. On a much more pleasant note, some really awesome things happened in the last week for some of our previous Adamantium guests. I like to call them Adamant alumni. Comedian James Mullinger, who was our first repeat guest and kicked off the second season, just released his comedy album, Almost Canadian. It's already gone. It's his second special and it's already gone number one on the comedy charts of iTunes. So big congrats to James. Give it a listen. He's hilarious. Uh, Snow. Snow just released a new single with Daddy Yankee. Brett Kissel just got nominated for a Juno for his album, We Were That Song. He also just had his third child. So congratulations to the whole Kissel family. So glad, so fortunate to have these extremely talented people on our show. If you haven't heard some of those episodes already, go back... We've got some great episodes in our archive. Check them out. But let's focus right here, right now, on today's episode, episode number 40. We've got Ron Hawkins on the podcast from The Lowest of the Low, an OG alternative punk 90s band, anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough knows I'm a product of the 90s so super stoked to have Ron on the show at the time of recording this The Lowest of the Low had just released their box set it's called Shakespeare My Box which is a play on their very successful debut album Shakespeare My Butt all kinds of goodies on this box set. Uh, We talk about it on the podcast but actually when I met up with Alan Cross from 102.1 The Edge I told him I was meeting up with Ron Hawkins soon and he said oh man that's a great box set and he was impressed by it so uh, I'm sure he's had a million box sets come his way so if it impresses Alan Cross then you know it's good. And Ron Hawkins is going on 30 years in the music industry so tons and tons of great material with the lowest of the low, solo projects, other bands, so it seems fitting to do the adamantium recommend section that's five songs by ron hawkins recommended to you by the adamantium podcast the first three songs i recommend by the lowest of the low are from that shakespeare my butt album we've got salesman cheats and liars second song is bleed a little while tonight and the third song is four o'clock stop and the fourth song i'm going to recommend is actually from the lowest of the lows newest album it came out in 2017 the album's called do the right now and the song is called power lines And the last song I'm going to recommend is actually from one of Ron's other projects. Uh, The band's called Ron Hawkins and the Do Good Assassins. The album is Garden Songs, and the song is called Peace and Quiet. So there's five songs that you can check out, but that is just skimming the surface of the amazing songbook that Ron Hawkins has made over the years. And before we get into conversation with this Canadian treasure... Couple quick words of business. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please do hit that subscribe button. If you have a few moments, please leave us a rating and a review. And you can follow The Adamantium on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter just by searching The Adamantium. And that's it. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into episode number 40 featuring Ron Hawkins of The Lowest of the Low right here on The Adamantium Podcast. Enjoy everyone. Have a great week and stay warm. Ron, for having yeah, me over. No problem. We're here with Ron Hawkins, song Canadian songwriter. Um, and thank you for having me for, for one to your home. And, yeah, no problem. And as soon as I mean, I've been here for 10 minutes now and it, I feel like I'm in a musician's home. Oh, okay. <laughs> I that's
1: like what my mom says. It.
0: It's very, yeah, but you know what? I I like what you've done with the
1: I'm also a visual artist, so that's. Yes, you know, I knew, and says.
0: that's one thing we're going to talk about today. Mm. So, yeah. Um, we got a lot of we got a lot of good conversation to get through. Okay. So uh, I mean, I guess the the reason um, uh, I, I was reached out to me originally is because right now we'll talk about it first. You guys are have releasing in the next week mm-hmm. this, this fantastic box set We're being embalmed. Yeah, and actually, you know what? Funny enough, I just met with uh, Alan Cross. Oh, yeah, okay. and. Uh, it literally it was it, the email came to me around the exact same time that I met with him and I, I mentioned it to him and he's like oh man it's a great box set he, I mean he's such a music yeah, yeah. lover collector and so uh, he's like oh you're gonna have a great time that was a fantastic box set so let's start with that sure um, so we're releasing this box set it's called Shakespeare in My Box hmm um Tell us, because I was trying to find if it was, like, some kind of milestone or, like, uh, anniversary year. But it is, uh, so I wanted to ask, why, why now, and
1: uh, what is it? who, whose the, idea did it's it? It's the 27th anniversary. 27th,
0: there
1: you go. <laughs> Does anybody celebrate that? Um, no, it was just one of these things that, you know, because we've had such a long career, and on and off, I think it's been sort of bubbling under the surface for a while. Different. Okay. We were on f- pheromone uh, recordings for a while, and Kim Cook and and uh, us, we had talked about it at some point—a uh, greatest hits record or a right. box set or something like that. And then when we made the move to Warner, uh, we signed a two-album deal. And mm-hmm. I, as I joke, like you know, in classic lowest of the low bad business acumen, we gave them our entire career for the first record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's seven records, seven pieces of vinyl. So. um Yeah, no, it's just a matter of, like, what an honor, you know, like, I think, you know, of course, when you start out, you imagine you're going to destroy everybody and create a new uh, threshold for people to reach, you know, Mm -hmm. with your music, but you kind of, you're faking it to making it, I feel like you're sort of saying all that stuff, but down deep, at least for me as a songwriter, I I never imagined that anybody would give a shit 10 years later, you know, 10 minutes later, let alone 27 years later, so, you you know, the chance to do this, was a real honor and just a, a chance to sort of step back and look at it as a career as opposed mm-hmm. to just like the next record or the next gig or the, you know. Right. Yeah, so it's so amazing. And then Warner stepped up and, and have been so gracious and so uh, ex- as excited as we ha- have been about it, you know, which as we were talking about Steve Kane, the president of Warner, yeah. like to have the president of the company be as excited about your box set as you are right. is a complete uh, anomaly and a total treat, you know. It's
0: nice when you're like, uh, I mean, you're working with music fans, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's it's almost like it, it doesn't feel like a am working. It's almost like
1: a partnership. You know what I mean? It's yeah. A little, totally a little different. Yeah. And it's very unusual because, you know, like my experience with the music industry itself is that it's super toxic. It's right. super. It's about selling shoes. It's not really about selling art. You know. Right. And so when you meet people who, uh, you know, think the same way as you do, then it's it's like a, there's a bit of a classic story. The lowest low back in ninety uh, three, we were. Getting ready to make our second record, and we were mm-hmm. having a showcase for all these labels, all the labels in Canada. Yeah, and we were out on tour, and we were in a record shop, and we found these S- SST T-shirts that said "Don't suck corporate cock" and yes. "Corporate cock or corporate rock still sucks," and and it was like one of the guys in the band said, uh, "Hey, we should wear these at our at our you know our business our industry uh, showcase, right?" And, of course, then we were kind of like, wow, really, is that a good idea? But, of course, it was a good idea for us because we thought this will weed out anybody who doesn't think that's funny. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And we would probably want to work with somebody who thought that was funny that because was funny. we have to deal with them every day, you know.
0: And how and how did it work out the way you wanted it to?
1: Well, uh, our friend Yvonne Metzel, who's a, a longtime Toronto booker, uh, swears that it has dogged us to this day mm-hmm. with certain people in the industry. Right. That they are hands off and sort of like all oh, those guys. But again, are- it's kind of like like you said, the people you don't really want to be working with. Yeah, anyways. really.
0: Yeah, it really was kind of. They don't of a- get what you're.
1: Yeah. All about. So we actually signed with a record label called LSD Records okay. <laughs> out of Vancouver. Who, believe it or not, they they were crazier than we were. And their president at the time was trying to talk the company into putting a tab of acid in every forty-five they sent out. And of course, the label was like, "Well, that would be awesome for a week, yeah. and then we would have no label because we'd be shut down instantly, right. and you'd yeah. be in prison." You know. Yeah. So he was that guy, you know, kind of a total maverick, and uh, and that worked for a little while, and then we uh, Universal. Um, sort of bought it out. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So tell us what um, tell us what you get in this box set.
1: So the box set, you get uh, all the original records. So you get Shakespeare My Butt, Hallucigenia. Both of those are, are gatefold double vinyl. Mm-hmm. You get Sorted Fiction, which was released in 2003-ish. You get uh, Do The Right Now, which was released last year. And then there's a bonus vinyl called Thrifty, 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 which is live stuff remixes Uh, there's a couple brand new songs on there that we recorded this year and rarities and there's a there's a remix USS did a remix of one of our trips. oh really yeah very cool so uh and uh we were just on another podcast where the guy who was running it said yeah one of I had one of the guys from USS in here the other day and he said that one of you guys made out with his sister back in the day (laughs) (laughs) so we were trying to pinpoint who that was Who was? yeah. yeah
0: wow that's funny. Um, are you... Uh, I mean, I see some book collections and stuff. Are you a collector of,
1: of any kind? Not really. I mean, I, I have I look around at all these books, um, and I can't help but think of that Seinfeld episode where Jerry Seinfeld's going like, you know, who, keeping... What are they, trophies? Like, yeah. you know, are you going to read them again? And, you know, I'm sure 90% of these books will never read again. I reach for some of them, mm-hmm. uh, but I have a 12-year-old daughter, and, I, and uh, she's a big reader, and she wants to be a writer. So it's almost sort of like... Keeping them for where I would probably have gone through these and called them way down, you know. I'm just thinking, well, how awesome that they're here. She can just reach out and. Pull them off the rack, and
0: right, yeah, uh,
1: it's like living in a library. I,
0: I was asking because I was wondering if that maybe inspired part of you know what what came in the box, or because there's there's some other things too. Some kind of like I heard I heard there was I think like stickers and, and kind of yeah, like, yeah. collectors items for for the
1: yeah. There's some out. handwritten lyrics. There's which is uh, really
0: cool uh-huh. stickers.
1: There's a tw- beautiful twenty-four page booklet. Yeah, uh, that. Uh, our graphic designer named Catherine McRae put yeah. together for us, and she—it's funny because she wasn't in Toronto; she was in England when we were doing our thing here. So she completely missed our our uh, reign of terror, mm-hmm. and uh, so she got all the stuff and then had to kind of build a story with it. Right. And so okay. she qu- very quickly became conversant with our career and listened to the records and saw yeah. us live a couple of times. And she's really done a great job of sort of playing it out over five records and. You know, you really get to see a visual journey yeah. as well that right. matches the, the music.
0: The things like the handwritten lyrics are they like kind of copies of the originals? That, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Have you ever um, have you been to the Rock
1: and Roll Hall of Fame? I've not. You no. Know. Like,
0: oh, okay. It's it's really cool because they have uh, original copies. Yeah. Not even copies. The original papers yeah, yeah. of some like you know Bruce Springsteen songs. Correct. And uh, Dead the one I always remember was uh, there was an original copy of "Walk This Way" by Aerosmith. Oh yeah. And what I found hilarious was it was just, like, riddled with spelling errors. Like, <laughs> just like <laughs> things that, like, walk with an E at the end or something oh, like wow. that. Like, like, it was just, like, it was kind of uh, it
1: was interesting anyways to see. As but, a scholar. Really right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and so in releasing this box set, you guys are doing a celebratory two sets yeah. at the Dakota. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you guys handpick this venue or...?
1: Uh, well, yeah, because we it's we wanted it to be we wanted the first two shows uh, to be exclusive to mm-hmm. the box set right. purchasers. So you, when you buy a box set, you have an option. You don't have to buy tickets to the show, but you have right. an option to buy tickets to the show, which is exclusive to people who buy. Like you can't walk off the street and get comes, tickets for it. Right. So we wanted to do that, and then we wanted to do that in a fairly uh, tight, sweaty little punk rock yes. place. You know, because I, I can imagine. I think they' I think capacity, hard capacity is one nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, the stage of the Dakota's maybe a foot off the yeah. floor, so you're literally right in people's face. And our band is pretty active on stage, so it's going to be a crazy, sweaty rock show that's reminiscent awesome. of the day, you know? So that's yeah. what we wanted to have for that. We're also playing December 29th at Lee's Palace, which will be more of a right. big rock extravaganza, like the...
0: Okay, and is that in celebration as well, or is that well?
1: You know, right now we're just in permanent or or sort of like perpetual celebration mode. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Because we're also going in in January to make a new record, so we're kind of on fire. Everybody's sort of firing on all cylinders, and which is, I mean, you guys just released a record last year. Yeah, yeah. So now it's kind of like
0: especially. From lowest of low i mean you've been making records yeah <laughs> consistently but for lowest of the low there's always been those kind of
1: yeah yeah so back stuff.
0: to back you it's, know and yeah it's really you know uh really great for the fans
1: yeah yeah and it's a testament to how excited i am about the band and how how back in form the band is mm-hmm. that you know i wrote i think 25 songs this year mm-hmm. for it wow. that we're going to call down to about 14 yeah but um yeah, I'm sort of like it's kind of a political record too. So I'm like, it's partially because I'm so fucking angry every day about what's <laughs> going on in the world, right. but also because the band is, you know, when we go into rehearse, it's a total pleasure and and uh, you know, there's no downtime like. What we were joking like, just things are so organic that, you know, we'd be rehearsing and whenever yeah. there's a space in rehearsing, somebody starts skanking and we wind up doing some ska stuff, right? Right. So I came home and it was just like a logical extension, like, well, there should be some ska songs on this record, right? So yeah. I wrote a couple ska songs and, you know, just stuff like that happening and then everybody's on fire about that, like, oh, like, our bass player, Greg, is like, rad, you know, like the minute I bring yeah. that ska tune in. So, you know, it's just stuff like that, real kind of, like it was back in the day when we were teenagers, right. you know? There's nothing contrived about it. There's nothing difficult about it. There's nothing, you know, doesn't feel like a job in any way. Right. that so it's just having fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, having fun and doing it as a vocation. You know. So what are, what are some of the, I guess, uh, political things that are fueling your... I mean, well, I think some of the right obvious now. ones, I mean, the turn the, the sort of what started out to be just seeming to be a turn to the right, to conservatism, seems to be actually a turn to fascism right. globally, right? Yeah, like you look yeah. at Europe and Italy and France and Here in Ontario, even, like it just seems like people are really willing again to embrace some very radically right ideas, you know? Mm -hmm. And I grew up as a leftist, and, you know, my first band with David, who's the drummer in The Low, we were in a band called Social Insecurity, which was like a Mm -hmm. straight edge Marxist punk rock band. Yeah. So that's where I come from. So that kind of thing, you know, gets my. Blood backup, yeah. yeah, I guess my blood boiling, and it just yeah. reminds me of, you know, uh, fighting the Heritage Front back in the '80s, like yeah. you know that yeah. far back, like doing shows because our because our punk rock band was very successful, we would get you know, promoters who didn't have any political awareness would put us with, you know, these Nazi punk bands that were very successful, and we would have these shows There were literally, like, chair fights and stabbings yeah. and stuff at our shows, and we would just duck and keep playing, and, yeah, you know, Wow. You know, so it's wow. funny, like, I, because when I talk about those days, like, you yes, know, that would be 82, 83, back, yeah. I feel like I'm telling a story or something that, that, you know, like I'm reading from fiction, but now it's coming back around again, yeah. you know, and I can imagine it happening again.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some days I can't even. I have to turn off the news because I'm just like it's, it's too much.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I think that's healthy so too. Like I mean, I'm a yeah. very engaged person politically, but I think there's you know you you also need to have a store of energy. You need some positive you know, yeah. yeah, that's it.
0: Um, I mean, I mean, that's always been the news. <laughs> they, yeah. They don't report like, hey, you know these puppies are doing fine today. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's always the negative stuff. So, uh, yeah, sometimes I like literally have to turn it off and like put on some cartoons or something, something that's going to yeah,
1: yeah. make me happy for a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's what, like, that comes back to writing these songs with the band is that I've always felt... I have lots of people who think that music is revolutionary, and I'm like, well, music's not revolutionary. Like, Revolution is revolutionary, and you, know, yeah. you do that work in the street, and you do that work right. in your life. But what music, for me, is, is that it's the thing that does exactly that. It gives you the... The moral and the spiritual energy mm-hmm. to ha- to want to do that, you know. Yeah. And I always reference Billy Bragg shows, like I would go to see Billy Bragg in '81, '82, and yeah. I would come out of the shows like punked, like, and I would say, like, you know, Billy doesn't care whether you go home and write songs. Like Billy just right. wants you to leave and be the best cobbler you've ever been. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Create the best charcuterie plate. <laughs> you know, right. whatever it is that you do. Whatever he you wants do, you to go out into it, yeah. the world and do it. And with that's it's
0: just a way of getting, you know, what's inside out. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Then we um, need so we need art. We need we we need love. We need people, you know, supporting us and, and making us realize that there's a community of like-minded people that, yeah. you know, and we can change stuff. I know. I know. Cause that, you know, it just, yeah.
0: When you think it's always the classic one step forward, two steps back. Mm-hmm. And what was the one that really, obviously, I mean, I'm sure people are much more upset about than I am too, was the one that I cannot believe was recently the, um, the ivory trade that in China that they mm. just opened like they allowed again <laughs> And the, like the trade of, of ivory now, like these endangered rhinos are yeah. killed again, and it's it's like uh, like. Like there we are days, past that? like aren't we way past that? Like yeah, there
1: are days that you feel ancient. like you're on crazy culture. right? Yeah, that's you're like, it. You're like how, how is that?
0: <laughs> how is that even a thing? You know? Yeah.
1: Anyways, um, but like, that's a whole like other. It's like witch burning or something. It's like if right. you read that, you're like, oh yeah, they're gonna start looking for oh, well, witches I and mean, burning them again. And it's like right. I mean, I know there are metaphors. They're doing that anyway in other ways, but like. Just you would be as crazy. You'd be like, I thought we were done with the Middle Ages. Well, I mean,
0: that was uh, Virginia last year. Was Mm -hmm. was, are you kidding me? Like, anyways, but that's a whole other (laughs) podcast on its own. Let's let's go back to music. So there are those.
1: (laughs) So there are those kinds of songs which are big P politics. Then there are sort of half the record is also kind of small P politics about more like personal stories about people who are just struggling to feel connected or you know Mm -hmm. struggling to feel. Uh, loved or you know, were their places? So yeah. there's a bunch of character studies of people, and yeah, because I always have that going on as well. Well, what
0: I also liked a lot about your music is you you do incorporate a lot about life in Toronto and, mm-hmm. and even landmarks of Toronto in your music, um, which I think is really cool. Being someone who grew up and lived his whole life in Toronto, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nice because you you know, you, there's so many songs about New York City. There's so many songs about. Los Angeles and yeah. California, and so it's, it's kind of nice to, you know, have some homage to your own hometown. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: And uh, it's all, you know, like I also find that that seems very particular, but then when you talk to people, like I met, I started to meet more people from Winnipeg, and I and then I became friends with John Sampson from The Weaker Thans, and yes, he does yeah. a similar thing for Winnipeg, and it's like uh, he would say, you know, when he heard Shakespeare in My Butt, he said, you know, it... Something clicked in his mind like, oh, you can do that, right? You can right. talk about your, it doesn't have to be, as you say, Paris or right, New yeah, York. It can say. be your, your local, right? Right. Because, and I also think because it resonates, everybody has one, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter where you live, there's there's your local hangout, you know, where yeah. you feel yeah. at home, or there's bridges and there's street, mark, you know, landmarks mm-hmm. that speak to you. Right?
0: And one of the ones I think you kind of talked about a lot was uh, the only on, mm-hmm. on the Danforth, right? Yeah. Um, what are some of your other kind of and it doesn't have to be uh, you know venues or anything but like what are some of your favorite kind of gems in the city and whether it's a cafe or a restaurant or
1: yeah yeah you know, well there are, there are things that that click with me because and I don't know you know this is the magic i guess of of objects you know they become imbued with some kind of meaning because yeah. we give them meaning but i uh, you know there are places in the city where i remember uh, walking and and being hit with a certain kind of epiphany or something, and right. then writing it because I used to carry a little journal yes, around with yeah, me yeah. and write it down, and then that might have been the germ that became the song, mm-hmm. you know. Or little instances like the there's a line about um, you almost kissed me blind on Bathurst Street. It's true, you know. Like yes. and that really people mention that. Like when I wrote it, I thought it's a thing and it's like and it's real and it's sort of autobiographical from my life. I never yeah. thought like 25 years later people would be quoting that at me because they get really something out of it and it really yeah. puts them in a place, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, through things like that, they're not even as much, as you're saying, like, not as much even landmarks as they are just moments and spaces. Yeah. And just the fact that Toronto's a bunch of neighborhoods. Right. And I used to just tramp around the neighborhoods and, you know... Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, Shakespeare, has. there's a lot of drinking involved because I had just broken up with my girlfriend, started, you know, this new band and was kind of, like, let loose mm-hmm. in the city. And I would always talk about how... There was a moment when it really felt like I was the protagonist in my in the film. There was almost like there was always in my mind I could almost see myself right from outside myself all the time, okay. as if I was being filmed interesting yeah, yeah it's weird and i mean there's, there's something incredibly unhealthy about that I would imagine <laughs> that's the way you always walk around like you know narcissistic about that, but th- as an artist, there's something incredibly powerful that I think is what imbues that record with a lot of yeah. romance or something or yeah, and people are so nostalgic for it is because I don't know whether I captured that exact same kind of protagonist in my own life yeah. story. Well
0: it's kinda like there's that there's always that question. It's like if you if someone were creating a soundtrack to your life as you lived out your daily life, it's almost like mm-hmm. that's how
1: you were thinking about yeah. music at the time, yeah. And again, that sort of like reinforces what I'm saying about community because I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking in those terms. I wasn't really thinking about anybody other than myself, right? But my story was just a regular dude wandering around trying to figure out what yeah. the hell's going on story right and mm-hmm. I guess a lot of people have that I mean, especially at that age right? yeah
0: and your music I've noticed that your, your songs are very observational mm-hmm. um, storytelling um, so when you is that how you is that when you're writing your songs when you're out in the city walking about um it doesn't seem like you're kind of like a lock yourself in a quiet room and mm-hmm. focus kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah, more, it's a little both. like inspired one. Yeah.
1: I feel like at, at some point, and I don't know, like I've said this often that one, one thing I love the most about doing it is that it's a thing in my life that I have no, that mm-hmm. is still imbued with magic because I don't really know the process. I don't know exactly the process. I couldn't Correct. write it down and say, you know, and then you do this, and then a pinch right, of this, of and yeah. you know. So I, so it's magical to me still, right? Yeah. So it means that I know that when I'm out there, if I see something, it goes in there, and it's stored in my hard drive somewhere,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and then something subconscious is always writing, I guess, because yeah. at some point something will come back uh, to me that's useful uh, in something I'm working on, yeah. And it'll just appear back in my mind, and it'll remind me of something, and then that'll get work its way in. Hmm. The, and then so there's that, that's the magical part of it. I guess the workmanlike part of it is that I have a little studio downstairs, like a nine by nine little room studio. Mm-hmm. But it has logic and so like that I can make yeah, things yeah. happen and sound pretty good pretty quickly. Yeah. So the spark when the spark is there I can make that. You can go and make something And so I go down, you know, I go down probably every couple of days. Which yeah. is you know, I feel like I'm fairly workmanly about it. And that's the less romantic, but sit down with a guitar, and see what happens mm-hmm. and stuff usually comes out. So mm-hmm.
0: Do you have uh, do you con- do you have to have a notebook with you kind of at all times?
1: Well, this yeah. is one thing that I that I regret about the the technological age yeah, we're nice in because phone. I write I just stick it all I don't even have a phone but I write it all into my you know like a lyric sheet on my computer. Right. So what we just did with the box set, I don't know what that will look like if there's a box set twenty five years from now right. because yeah, it'll be a hard drive. You know, here's yeah. your hard drive for yeah, yeah. <laughs> How yeah. romantic. Here's a but little I mean USB like
0: when you're out and, and you're on Bathurst Street or something and uh, an idea hits you.
1: Yeah, I'm still a pen and paper guy. Yeah, so do you carry something with you? Yeah, just, often. Not yeah. always, but you know. Are you like rushing somewhere to. Yeah, sometimes get it's it, just yeah. in there. Like yeah. the most comic version of that, this was way back in 96. Mm-hmm. I I was visiting my friends in Orillia, yeah. and I got out of their little house, which is right on the highway, got in my car, and I got this riff and it came to me in my head, and I was yeah. like. You just hum it over and over. Oh shit! I had to hum it for an hour on the way home because I thought if I stop humming this riff, it's gonna disappear. Yeah, so I I I hummed it all the way home and then ran in the door and got on my phone and called it in in as a message to my phone. Yeah. But yeah, it's. uh, those are the more comical aspects of a man who doesn't have a phone in 2019. Right, and yeah. Still Yeah. That.
0: That's, I mean, I, well, I mean, similarly, like, because I was, uh, you know, at one point I was, uh, a friend and I ran our own production company and we were right working on a, a sitcom. Mm. And I always found I got my best ideas um, when I was exercising, like when I went for a run or something like that. Right. The thing is, clear you, have head or, head. you have a clear head, but at the same time, you don't have anything on you. So a lot of times I have my best, I get an idea and i've got to i'm like running and i'm like don't lose that one don't lose that one yeah. and then right as soon as you get in, like <laughs>
1: yeah hope yeah. you're not too inspired on the run cuz you have all this stuff going right on.
0: that's it and it's like well i can't have any more ideas because i don't want to lose this one
1: <laughs> well uh, you know and that's the thing is like some people go well if it's a great idea you know it'll just stay there you know, and it's like it's that's not, bullshit it work man. That way. <laughs> Yeah. great ideas disappear just like yeah, other ideas exactly. like seeing as the bad ones yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so how is um, how is the music scene in Toronto, Because especially, you're someone who's been so engrossed in the music scene here mm-hmm. in Toronto. How has it changed from, say, the early 90s when you guys started to now?
1: Yeah. Well, let's go to the early 80s and say that, you know, from the early 80s to the early 90s, we were talking about this nice. with Alan Cross and her. we had a, did a box opening video yes, that Alan yeah. Cross was interviewing us for. And I was saying, you know, there was a window for us between 1990, let's say, and 1994, the original explosion of low to the low for us, Mm -hmm. uh, that we got really super lucky that all the, you know, all the uh, ducks came in a row and it was like, we had been working really hard and we were, I think pretty inspired and and we were good. But this door opened with the edge and, uh, just a certain DIY, you know, we didn't create it, obviously Mm -hmm. we were just riding a wave of it and we were there when it happened. So... We got to avail ourselves of that, like you know, David Bookman at at uh, the Edge, just deciding, oh, this is a cool local band who released this thing on their own. I'm going to play it on the Edge. Really? So he would. They started playing "Salesman, Cheats and Liars." They started playing "Rosie and Gray," and there were some rules broken for sure. Like our manager back then was like, "Rosie and Gray has probably a minute worth of in- instrumental music before the vocal starts," mm-hmm. which is total. You know, totally not done. Yeah. And, you know, and not only that, but twice through an intro, once with a uh, lead guitar, once with harmonica, mm-hmm. kind of probably unnecessary, but that's the way it was. And he was like, we got to cut this down. we got to edit this like it's a minute before the vocal starts. And we were just, as I've been joking, you know, our answer to everything was just like eight middle fingers, right? Yeah. You know, so it was like, we were like a little gang and it was like, screw you, that's the way it goes, right? Yeah. So we were just, you know, we didn't know any better and we were just... No compromise at that point, but then of course, Bookman picked it up and started playing Rosie and Gray, and that became a regular mm-hmm. rotation track. And they went six singles off that record. Mm-hmm. So what it, that did for us was teach us that all of our decisions were right, yeah. <laughs> which was bad, and um, you know, and just the, that we didn't know that that was an anomaly. You know, in the, that the music industry doesn't work that way. Right. You know, because it didn't work that way before that, and it hasn't worked like that since. Mm-hmm. So we just happened to be lucky to be there when it did. When it did, so yeah. So for a new band now, I know lots of amazingly talented bands. I would say way more talented than Lois Lowe was when when we hit. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the same opportunities. Like, they can have it all polished and a great lead, you know, lead person and have the music arranged and recorded well and have their records and everything and, you know, still kind of can't get arrested. Mm-hmm. Because it's just that much harder. There's that many more bands, you exactly. know? Yeah. And the problem is, you know, like, if, if I argue with somebody who's my age who starts doing the old, well, uh, there's mm-hmm. no good music anymore, you know, since yeah, the 90s. Like, yeah. It's so ridiculous because one of the problems is that there's too much good music. Yeah. And you can't get to it all. You yeah, know? it's true. It's, there's, uh, I read it now. I can't remember who the quote was
0: from. There's a great, great quote I wrote that was, you know, when I made music, there was a hundred bands with a thousand fans. Now mm-hmm. there's a thousand bands with hundred fans. Like,
1: If yeah. they're lucky, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, but what about, um, also I want to talk about like, what about, you know, going out to gigs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just experiencing music in the city. How has that changed from, from uh, the nineties, you know, or has it?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't do it enough. Okay. You know, I'm working like my life with a... With the twelve-year-old daughter, right? And well, not just that, but like a twelve-year-old daughter, and being in a in a very regularly working band, mm-hmm. and also having a solo thing, and another band, the Duke right. and Assassins. Several, yeah. Like I spend an awful lot of my time. Doing our own work. Okay. And most of the bands I see are either bands that we've chosen to open for us or people giving me music. Mm -hmm. But I do get out once in a while, and when I do see it, it seems the same as it always has, with the exception that I find audiences very polite these days, you know? Because as I say, like, going through the first sort of post-punk wave in the 80s where... When I was yeah. talking about stabbings and table fights, to like the crazy mayhem and the mosh pits and the stage diving de- right. lowest to low, I, you know, and I get that, you know, I think there's a certain millennial and a certain even pre millennial response against mosh pits, like being thuggish and, you right. know, fratty and stuff like that, uh, which I totally get. But uh, I do sometimes find that I'm standing in a very respectful, quiet crowd yeah. going, this is a bit weird, right? Yeah. And I also find bands very, uh, very apologetically. I mean, not across the board, but very apologetically, like I can't believe. Thanks for coming, and you know, I can't yeah, believe you right, came. right. You How know? Canadian? Yeah, so <laughs> Canadian. And yeah. Wow. Well, um, because like we come from the school, like I would often talk about this. We opened one time for *Spirit of the West* in Vancouver, and I knew the Vancouver crowd right. were not fans of Toronto, Torontonians, regularly, mm-hmm. and they were chit-chatting and talking and everything, and so. I came out to the mic and said, uh, hey, we're the, we're the Rusty Nails. We're from Toronto and don't hate us because we're beautiful. Yeah. And it was so like instantly that people started throwing things at us oh, and everything. But I'm like, up, really? now they're paying attention, right? You
0: hear stories of all, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. It's,
1: and it's uh, it's interesting talking to someone that's actually... But I thought I'd rather like, have them throw, like... you know, beer bottles at me than not pay attention at all, you know? Really? Because uh, at least now... we there ever have... been like,
0: has anyone ever been
1: seriously hurt or... Not because no. of that. We again back in the day there was a lot of throwing things, and we we luckily we we like, missed the uh, the window of spitting at the bands. So, you know the early like the Clash and those yeah. guys. Like I don't know how they got crazy. through that because I've heard stories that Joe Strummer may have contracted hepatitis B from really? spit going in his oh, mouth.
0: Really, <laughs> so and gross. That is really gross. But and it's like I think now like, and maybe that's just. Uh, the like you said, the way the mentalities have changed, but now like someone boos you and I'm like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm terrible. Like someone's <laughs> spitting at me and throwing beer bottles at me. Like yeah. that would be like, that would deter so many people from,
1: you know. But the weird thing is back in the day, you're like, we're nailing this. Yeah. They hate us.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's almost like an, uh, you know, an entertainer's, uh, look at things as, you know, any reactions better than no reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
1: sort of see it that way. Like I'd rather yeah. have people angry and, yeah, you know. Who these guys think they are, rather than not rather listening than, at all.
0: Yeah, wow. So, uh, and and you mentioned too about all the different projects you work on. Um, so I was curious, how is there a different process for, or like when you're writing a song, are you thinking, oh, this would work well with the low, or this would work better mm-hmm. with Rusty Nails, or you know, do you?
1: I, 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 the only band that's like that, I think, is the low. Like writing stuff for myself or writing stuff for my other band, the Duke of Assassins. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of crossover in the way those that music works. Mm -hmm. There are definitely times where I write something and I go, that's a Lowest to the Low song. Okay. There's a certain, I don't know what it is, a certain attitude, a certain raggedy attitude. Yeah. Okay. But I know that's for that band. Before,
0: did you, uh, I I was curious because because your career has been so... Uh, long and, and it seems to be did you ever have any work in the, like did you ever have any other jobs in the city yeah, yeah 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 so, so i I'm always curious period. with
1: musicians what did what did you do before music was I, I had the most career. motivational jobs okay. m- motivational to be a better songwriter job. Okay uh, the worst being the one I talk about working at Upper Canada Brewery where I was a newbie and so they put the newbies on uh, the sort of graveyard shift Yeah and there would be a big pile of, we had a door where they would deliver the the empties because we could use, I think we could use, there was two or three types of bottles that we could use that, you know, they just steam off the labels and put new, okay. new labels on. So there was a big pile of empty cases and they stunk, of course, and they smelled like hops and all that. Yeah. So in the morning we, would, we were given shovels and we would go in and poke the boxes and when the rats came out, we had to kill the rats with shovels. Oh. That was motivational. Yeah, of course. Uh I'm sure and the other one was like, you know that's the same job we, you know there was the inspection light you would want to, you would get a job sitting and there's a light and the bottles are going by and you're making sure yeah. there's nothing in them so of course, when you've played till three in the morning or whatever yes. and you're now at nine yeah i have been woken up by my manager on several occasions, yeah like, get Hawkins off the light yeah you know, or I would tell my friends, don't buy any. UCC this year, this yeah, uh, this, this week, week because yeah, I so was on the inspection line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, looked in there, but that stuff and then lots of manual labor stuff. Like I was a window cleaner for a while. I did uh, one of the things when we drive around on tour. I go, oh, yeah, I put the drapes in here because I hung drapes for a while. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. So
1: all the hotels around Ontario.
0: Wow, it's incredible to think about, eh? <laughs> you now all these years later.
1: Um, well, I mean, you know the same thing. I was always the newbie guy, and so like I would get the drilling holes for the brackets for drapery. Yes, yeah. you know it's like, it's almost like all these jobs have a little hazing ritual. Yeah, and you get hazed for six months until you get until and then you, you move get, to a better yeah. job. Mm-hmm. So I would dri- be drilling. I would come home just with, like covered in concrete dust and blowing concrete dust out mm-hmm. of my nose yeah. and stuff like that. And then you know have a shower and go and do a gig or something. Life, eh? <laughs> wow. And it's not like I, you know, I remember it was like March of 91. I, I took a bunch of friends out to this place that we used to hang out called the Blue Moon Saloon. And, we, and it was to toast, the, you know, the death of my, my uh, working life. And I was like, that's it, I'm going to sink I'm or to swim yeah. as a musician. And, you know, Lois DeLoe was, we hadn't released Shakespeare My Butt yet, but we were doing pretty well. Okay. And so I sort of saw a little window there. I thought, you know, that's it, this is the time. Yeah. You know, if was, I don't do it now.
0: Was Shakespeare Shakespeare My Butt, was it kind of like a collection of songs that you guys had worked on for so many years before?
1: No, no, not at all. It was like, okay. we uh, we had a band called Popular Front just before that, yeah. which was a capital P political band. Okay. You know? And it was sort of more, again, like sort of some two-tone stuff, some world beat stuff, some ska okay. stuff, and some punky stuff. And then, I just had this little epiphany as I say, I broke up with my then partner and I had a little epiphany about songwriting, which was like, I started to do this, bringing it back to the local, mentioning the Carla bridge and mentioning the only cafe because it seemed, I don't know why it suddenly seemed more real to me to do that instead of talking about, you know, Chile or whatever. Like, and, uh, So I did that, and then it was just a a feedback loop because suddenly uh, people would be responding to it in a way. I was like, wow, people are really responding to this in a way that they weren't responding as much to popular Front." And then I just started writing more like that, and then the feedback loop got bigger. And it was just, uh, I think I wrote, There's 17 songs on Shakespeare. I think I probably wrote 13 of them or 12 of them in the space of about six months. Yeah. uh, Just before we recorded Shakespeare. So they were very new songs by the time we recorded them. And they were meant to be demos. Like we recorded them, you know, another... Like this story happens so often, but we recorded them as demos because we were... You know, indie freedom fighters aside, we were trying right. to get signed, right? And we took them around to every major label, and everybody was like, uh, no, guys, thanks. But uh, there's the door over there. So nobody wanted it, right? Wow. So then we decided, okay, well, will with it. We'll release it ourselves. Ourselves, yeah. And then Page Publishing, uh, which was Stephen Page's dad had a publishing. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, you know, basically out of his basement kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he uh, distributed it. Yeah. And then I think we sold 4,000 or 5,000 CDs. And cassettes. We even had cassettes. Uh, Within the first couple of months, it just went on fire. And, of course, then, like, business has happened. Did you guys
0: work much
1: with them? No, it was just a a little window. And, in fact, you know, it's funny now because I'm friends with Jim Cregan and stuff like that, but we turned down a tour with those guys. We turned down a tour with Brian Adams. Oh, really? We turned down a bunch of tours that we thought were not punk rock enough. Right. Okay. Interesting. uh, So... You know, that you can look back on that and yeah. decide whether that was a mistake or not. But
0: yeah. I used to work in a video game store that Ed Robinson used to come into okay. all the time. He's a big video gamer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Yeah, so once we started selling all those records then all those labels called us. Called back. up and, and then came, by then we were like back. the fingers That's came it. up again and we were like couldn't see yeah. them over the phone, but it was like we're right. holding up eight fingers right now. Slam. Yeah. So we did, yeah, didn't want to have anything to do with them by then because by then we sort of saw the writing on the wall, which is like, we can do this on our own. We can mm-hmm. get in a van on our own. We can book the shows. We can, you know, we've got these wonderful... as possible. So. Yeah, we want these wonderful connections with Alan Cross and Dave Bookman and, all, you know, mm-hmm. Now Magazine and Exclaim and all those guys. And,
0: mm-hmm. Wow, fantastic. And, I mean, Shakespeare, my, my butt, I mean, it's been... Uh, I think I, I read somewhere that it was three times put on a list of like the top in the top 10
1: of like the top
0: 100 Canadian albums. Yeah. Um, which is, you know,
1: crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy to read like Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Lois, Lois. you right, right. right, Yeah. What, you know?
0: Yeah. But, uh, is that something, is that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like almost like very, uh,
1: Surreal to you when you see It's totally yeah. surreal, yeah. Yeah, because what? I think I think that you know a a band that we're huge have always been huge fans of is the Clash, and I feel like there's you know we have mm-hmm. a mini a mini story that's a little bit like the Clash's story, which is that you know we the word respect comes up a lot when yeah. people talk about us, but we're by by no means like if I meet somebody and they say oh you're in a band and I tell them most of the low and then they don't know and they feel like they should know, and I'm like well, we're by no means a household name, like don't worry that you don't know the band, right? Yeah, and it's not like we're But but I
0: mean, that's, that's why I'm saying it is that as someone who basically did everything yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in a list with people who had, you know, mega companies behind their music. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's It's very reassuring because it comes back to like, you know. Folk music and punk rock and hip hop—you know—all these, all these musics that are that come from the people, you know, yeah. and are and and part of their story is always about how legit they are, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and to be legit, it's you know, like I, I know a lot of people think cynically that it's just like a pose or it's like a, yeah. it's a leather jacket you wear or it's mm-hmm. a lumber jacket or what you know, whatever is the in thing. But like to me, it's the thing they have in common is that legitimacy is baked in because the crowds that like that kind of music. They can smell a fake. You right,
0: know? yes, yeah.
1: And it's not, so it's pop music, but it's not pop music in the way that radio is classically pop music, mm-hmm. so, which is why, you know, I take solace in the fact that The Clash, you know, never really had m- many radio hits and they w- didn't place well on the billboard charts because that's right. not what they were about. They were about creating...
0: But they, they were, and they, I mean, they created stuff that wasn't, you know, you think of, like, combat rock and, like, that wasn't that was nowhere near mainstream at the time. But now it's, it's like one of those things like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of another example now, but it's like, it's, it's now people look back and like appreciate it. You know, it's almost like even, even Bohemian Rhapsody when it came out, wasn't popular. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and now it's like the greatest song of all time. Um, but uh, I even spoke, I had a band on, um, one of the guys from the stills created a new band. Uh, they're called negative and it's completely, um, inspired by combat rock itself okay it's like a reggae punk fusion yeah um and they just they really wanted to create this album because like it's so underappreciated that yeah 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 it's pretty cool so that being said what are what are some of your other favorite Canadian albums
1: Canadian albums well you know I like I like I like lots of albums that get that again are not necessarily household names like Martha Wainwright's record Mm -hmm. um that's a huge one. Lots of bands from friends. I know like, uh, Fembots and, and, uh, you know, all the, I, I like a lot of the classics as well, but I'm one of those guys who, you know, I keep saying like, I'm, i might have to hand back my Canadian passport because of the, the real people in the pantheon. I'm not always a fan of like Neil okay. Young. I'm not really a Neil Young okay. fan. I'm not, uh, Rush, not a Rush fan, not a Gordon Lightfoot fan, yeah. you know? And, uh, I just want. I find myself in these in these, you know, groups of backstage of musicians that are waxing poetic about Gordon Lightfoot or something, and yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> like in any other country, yeah, would that be considered, you know? Right. I'm like, there's three songs, in you know, like I get. Yeah. Of course, I as they push back, I get, I dig my heels in and get more snarky and obnoxious than I probably really feel, but yeah, you know, so I so yeah, it's not. I don't really look at it that way. I sort of just take music in right. as it comes.
0: The one the, actually, the one for me. That and and I, I appreciate the music, but I'm not the biggest hip fan. No, me either. And uh, that's so a, and one of those ones. I right now, you're at, really, really not. Quite, right, to say that. right. You're not. <laughs> you no, know, and I'm like that now. I'm kind of scared of saying this on on air, but uh, and, and I appreciate it. I, I've seen the hip twice, yeah. and I very much enjoyed the show and stuff. But it's you know when people say it's not on my mm-hmm. top. You know,
1: it's and I and then you know like uh, like Gord solo Records. Yeah. I like Gord solo Records better, and a lot of it is the sonic choices that were made. You know, right. they're not yeah, as yeah. they're not as shiny, and they're not as uh, largely produced. You know, they're very they're much more indie, yeah. interesting sonically to me. Right. So a lot of that stuff, yeah, might not uh, might not be matter to a bigger crowd, but you know.
0: And it gets all a personal thing too. Yeah. So
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, that's another thing. You know, when you talk about. Bands now, like if you're 25 now and yeah. trying to have a band, it's like there are things that just didn't exist when I was 25, right. which is the the access to every music ever made. Yeah, you know, and and, and I mean, a sort of holding too, yourself like, self up to that. Yeah, but also just I mean, I, you know, the tyranny of options. I feel like maybe it was Leonard Cohen who talked about somebody was asking me about writing novels as opposed to writing pop songs or uh, poetry, and him saying, you know, he likes the constraints
0: mm-hmm.
1: of a pop song because in a way, it's a lot harder. Right. Uh, but you're, you're much less likely to get lost at sea like you are in a novel because you could just get lost mm-hmm. in there, you know? And I feel it's the same way. Like, you have too many options. I didn't have as many options. So it, it's a real focuser, you know? Mm-hmm. You yeah. have a few choices. You act, act on them. You know? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um you mentioned it earlier, and I said we're going to talk about it. You're also quite an accomplished. I've seen some of your pieces here. You're quite an accomplished painter as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and I looked through some of the the pieces on your uh, on your website. Um, it's really f- fantastic. Um, and I, I I I'm I used to draw a lot myself. Right. So it, I mean, now it's finding time to do it, but. Uh, uh, I, I was curious if, for you, um, did painting is something? Is it something you always did, or did that kind no, of come later? And
1: no, not know? at all. Yeah, I started painting. I painted for the first time in about two thousand and one. Okay, so what in, what inspired you to try it? Or? Well, I was always I've always been into art, and okay. I've always I drew when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and then I sort of you know that high school thing where you kind of stop doing it a little bit yeah. as you're becoming an adult for okay. some reason, can't find the time or something. But but yeah. I never really did much painting. I had some painting. Um, projects I had to do in school or something, in mm-hmm. high school, but very minimal. Right. And then 2001, I, as I say, I would always go to galleries. If I traveled around in the world, I would never go see bands, but I would always go see visual art right. galleries. So galleries. I was always aware that I that it spoke to me somehow yeah and then uh, jill and i were in a we went to a frida Kahlo, george o'keefe exhibit or something okay. and i was there and i just off the cuff i said to her you know and when i'm in galleries and i see painting i always feel it seems so tactile i always feel like i should check it out right yeah and then my birthday came up not too long after that and she had gone out and you know we didn't have any money at the time and she had purchased a lot of art supplies mm-hmm. and so there was the you know the split feeling of I'm uh, very excited about the idea and then also sort of like, oh, my God, what if I what if that was a flipping comment? you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just emptied her bank account, you know, but it was like it was like crack, like the minute I touched a brush to canvas, yeah. you know, I it did something that wasn't even intellectual. It did something mm-hmm. physical to me that I was like I felt like a desire to just do yeah. it. And I did it every day okay. for a while. And then I was on websites looking and trying to find old Renaissance glazing techniques and things okay. that have just disappeared, you know, because yeah. nobody does them anymore. And, and I was into portraiture and I realized, I, you know, I tried a bunch of abstractions and I tried a bunch of cityscapes and stuff, but I realized that my songwriting and my painting have similar concerns, which is that I'm super interested in people. Okay. Period.
0: Yes, I noticed that it was a lot of a lot of portraiture. And actually, that was my next question, is did music and, and painting, do they kind of come hand-in-hand hand with you now?
1: Yeah, they're, they're very different in some ways. Like the paint, I don't... Uh, music, I, I'm always aware of the process. Um, I don't know what the process is, but I'm always aware that I'm doing it. Yeah. Whereas, um, I guess that's not true all the time if I'm jamming with a band or doing something like that. I can get lost in it. But painting is the kind of thing, like, I literally can get lost down a rabbit hole and, like, Mm -hmm. just sort of stand up and hold my butt, like, stretch my back out six hours later and go, wow, I've been painting for six hours, and I'm not aware that the time is going, you know? So that's really cool. And as I say, I'm looking into these faces, I'm doing these portraits, and um, there's a great quote uh, from a painter named Alice Neal, who I'm a huge fan of, who was, I think she was painting from the 1920s. She became a feminist icon in the 80s when she Mm -hmm. was in her 80s. was kind of, and she sort of painted in obscurity all through the abstract expressionist. Phase where you you know painting people was considered ludicrous and mm-hmm. childish or whatever, she just painted her neighbors and stuff like that. She was kind of broke, yeah, and she just stuck it through until portraiture came back around again. And then she was discovered by the feminist, second feminist wave, and and um, turned into an art star mm-hmm. at the end of her life. But she had a phrase where she said, uh, I'm she called herself a collector of souls, okay. And I think it's a quote from yeah. Chekhov, I think she stole it from Chekhov, okay. but but I always latch onto it as. Like I feel like that. Like I'm, yeah. you know, endlessly interested in what's making people tick. And
0: so where, uh, where do you where do you keep them all? I mean, I see a few, but I mean, on your website, I've seen there was. Okay, hundreds,
1: well, this is I'm, now I'm going to make a very obnoxious statement, which is I don't have to keep them all because they all sell. They sell. Yeah. No. That's, yeah. I mean, that's which is disgusting. awesome, right? Yeah. And I wind up picking, cherry picking the ones I like that I want to keep. keep to like, yeah. hey, that represents that phase. Yeah. But like this big one, there's a there's a four. What is it? So, so who is this? Tell me who this. This is Joe, who just left to go to work. Oh, okay, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and I did this series, which were sort of people in different masks. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, Ian Blurton. I did Ian Blurton, who's uh, from Change of Heart, Blurtonia, mm-hmm. uh, Public Animal. He's a musician and a okay. producer in town. Uh, he has a giant beard and a baseball cap. So I was, I, I thought, well, the beard and the baseball cap are kind of a mask, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there was a series of astronaut helmet and all these kind of things, and just looking at what is it? What is it to have a mask on? You know, yeah. do we always have a mask on? And yeah. you know, is is this is anybody really showing themselves mm-hmm. truly? So these are for people who can't see them. They're it's about I think they're three feet by four feet, yeah, and they're shoulder to top of head, so they're very large portraits. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is another thing, almost like the edge discovering lost the lows. The first big show I had like this was at the Catherine Mulherin, uh Art Projects, which mm-hmm. is on Queen Street, which is a yeah. huge deal. She's kind of like the queen bee of of indie uh, the indie art scene. Yeah. And so I had a I was shocked to be allowed to have a show there. Uh, but then my sort of snarky punk rock dude uh, ran into the art world in the same yeah. way, which is that you have to make an artist statement. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning as people come in and read it and I've always thought those things are kind of bullshit and like when I read them at galleries I'm like the artists just they make these up after the fact yeah. like you know they just did a thing and then they now they describe what they were doing and maybe it's true maybe it's not and I got a little uh, I guess a little cavalier with it and I was like I had phrases like uh, you know I like the colors orange and blue they make my eyes dance <laughs> you know? and I got kind of in shit for it because it was like I was I guess degrading you know, yeah, the sacred yeah. space of the gallery yeah, and I'm supposed to be. take it yeah, more it. seriously, right? Yeah. And then on the night of the show, um, the person who was sort of... Uh, there was a handler for me and they were kind of keeping me away from certain people because I was I was getting... Because Mel Rap. I don't know if you know Rap Optical. No, no. It's a no. sort of a hipster um, glasses store oh, okay. on College Street. He bought three of them and, uh, and I just it occurred to me that he bought three that were wearing glasses right ah, okay, and so yeah, I yeah. was making jokes like uh, hey Mel if you want me, I can go home and get paints and paint glasses on, on the other ones right? yeah. so that's that. suddenly somebody grabbed my arm and they're taking me away yeah, and, yeah. because I guess I was just being a little too they want me to be serious about my art right know? right which I am, yeah. but I'm like, I don't see the difference like, between, just because I'm serious about it doesn't mean I can't,
0: have, yeah, have, you know, fun. joke around with yeah, people. Yeah, I guess it's a different uh, a different scene than the punk rock scene, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's right. but it's similar to the music uh, industry in terms yeah. of like, there's a certain amount of uh, respect you're supposed to show, Right. And I don't okay. have that respect, I guess. It's, I don't have enough of it. Yeah, you know. or it's in a different, I guess, or it comes out
0: in a different way, maybe just. Yeah. Um, what kind of paints do you like to use in are these? Are these, these like, that's real? oil. Oil, yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's funny because I know uh, as oil, I've been told that the oil that I use looks, I use it like acrylic, I think, you know, because okay. a lot of big, flat mm. space. Um, I've also had people tell me, and I don't see it, but somebody's like, yeah, I really love them. There's a lot of angry energy in them. And I'm like, okay. huh, <laughs> okay. But uh, so it must be true because enough people have said it to me Yeah, that yeah. it's not something I see. But maybe,
0: well, that's, I mean, almost when when I asked is your music and Art come hand in hand. Maybe that's like the little bit of the punk rock. Yeah, know, art. Yeah. the energy is there. or Something. So but I what love is it, it. What else? What is it that grabs you about a certain portrait or a, so, a certain face that makes you want to paint it?
1: Some of it is strictly, uh, is strictly topography. Like some of it is almost like architecture, right? Yeah, like yeah. I did a series called A to Z, which was.
0: I, I was going to ask you. Yeah, that, which like I an alphabet really cool, of, of music. musicians,
1: right? Yeah. So a lot of them were like you know. Tom York and let's say Tom York and Bob Dylan and Joe Strummer and yeah. uh, Amy Winehouse, like were all people that I listened to and love and everything. And then yeah. there were some people thrown in there, like Willie Nelson, who I respect. Yeah. But I don't I'm not like I listen to Willie Nelson a lot. But his face was Faces, so yeah. topographic. It was like yeah. a map or something, you know? And yeah. it was just uh, the tactility of it as a painter. It was yeah. fun to try and recreate that, you know? Were there some letters that were like hard to decide because it's oh, so 100%, yeah. yeah so I think that's why Bob Dylan wound up at Zed for Zimmerman because right hey there weren't a lot of Zs, yeah um and yeah I think he was running I think
0: there was a couple letters where there were more than one though too
1: was there yeah probably I think so, yeah couldn't help myself
0: yeah well, I mean that's
1: that's the hardest part and yeah and what's his name got in there uh Xavier Cougat who's like a, yeah. of my parents I guess not even my parents would have been kids when he was yeah. playing the marimba or whatever yeah yeah. I did a, I did a similar one back in high school
0: I did it because I was always I was an illustrator mm. um, but I took my favorite musicians and just did illustrations of them all and it's still hanging in my parents place oh cool yeah yeah uh, I was just I was looking at it the other day in the basement. I was like, I, well, it was you know, your, your own critic and I was like certain ones I was like, that one's good, this one yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, I want to take this one down
1: but yeah so, so I think there's something baked in at least you know'm I'm, I'm a pretty cocky guy and pretty confident yeah, but, yeah. but it's still baked in as an artist that you have a certain mm-hmm. sense of like envy of like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And I was talking about John Sampson the other day uh, from the Weaker Thens and we were just mm-hmm. talking about lyricists and I said, you know as confident as I am as a lyricist and I'm very confident as a yeah. lyricist. I look at the way John sees the world, and I go, I wish I could see the world lyrically the way he does. He's yeah. got some okay. tricks and some ways that he does things that I really envy. Yeah. And and certainly visually, with visual art, I yeah. see that a lot. And illustrators are a lot of them. Like yeah. the the um, economy of it or just the ability to know to not. Sometimes I feel like I'm spinning my wheels too hard to get where I want to get with it. Yeah, There's a guy named, um, God, what's his name? Noam. There's an Israeli artist who, do, who does it poster work and it's all about negative space so okay, the yeah. things just work with each other yeah and they're incredibly philosophical and incredibly political mm-hmm. but they're so graceful you know and yeah. there's the economy of of strokes is unbelievable it's like with five lines mm-hmm. he can do what i'm going to spend 38 Damn. hours yeah yeah.
0: yeah yeah it's i mean i i studied design for a little while too and it's it's uh, certain techniques or whatever how you can speak with space mm-hmm. I actually that's when, when for a little while I dabbled in like graphic design and, and that was one of my favorite things just work with the blank space yeah
1: I love graphic design and, and yeah, just design like yeah. furniture design and I, I as well, people, you can, like I said you can tell within here you've got yeah. an eye for but as unpunk rock as it is I really do believe that good design Makes your life better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right off the bat, yeah. like yeah. in ways that you don't even you don't even have to explain them. It just goes speaks right to your yeah. soul. A certain or efficiency even just of... like
0: a design that that is uh, you know suitable to your own style. Like if mm-hmm. you were to take over someone else's apartment or something. Yeah. And it could be very well designed or laid out to them but to you it might
1: not speak. Well to like our family. house this house when we bought this house we we made a little more money on the place that we were in before this and we paid less. It was Christmas and there was nobody looking at this mm-hmm. house. So we got this deal. So we had a little extra money, and we decided, hey, we—I guess for once—we can buy some furniture Furniture, and stuff. So you know, and up till then it had been like all Jill's university furniture and all my old punk rock. Like, hey, you know, I've got bricks with boards, and that's where my DVDs and my books go. But when we started to go out and actually buy furniture as adults, and go like this is oh, and we started to discover oh, this is what my actual taste. I've never had the the free space to actually exercise what my taste is right. you know in in a living space yeah so that was kind of a cool thing to be able to do
0: yeah well it's just like uh, like anything like you, you you can't design a you know a, a hairdresser's website the way you're going to design a you know a video games website. you know yeah. I mean, everyone's got it a, a certain look and style and um but it's funny it's it, it's something that I miss a lot is drawing and and I love it but like you said when, when you do it you get lost in it mm-hmm. and uh, same thing even I worked on a couple projects even just like two years ago but next thing I knew you're right it would be like four in the morning and I'm like wow I've been working on this for eight hours Yeah. yeah. and uh, now especially with doing this podcast and stuff it's like there needs to be you know 36 hours in a day <laughs> oh 100 <100%. laughs> uh, yeah like that's, and no matter that's how it. diligent
1: you are you really what, what so kind of projects
0: that? at once yeah. yeah
1: you could have an incredible work ethic but there's still you know you still need to be a, a human once a in a while human, your yeah jammy's watching netflix right
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, even even if they were sleep or exercise, or
1: sometimes. sleep or, or exercise. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I didn't even mention those. I didn't even get to those ones. Oh, I
0: know. It's uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so, what are you working on any paintings at the moment, or? Uh,
1: I haven't been for. I've I do commissions as well, so I've done okay. a couple of commissions last year, but I haven't really had the mental space to kind of think of another like cycle of paintings oh, that I would like to do for myself, yeah. but. Uh, I've got some ideas that I want it's to get. It's nice that you've got commissions, so... <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I know. Good. That's why I tried not to it's say nice. that in a complaining way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, you know, it's a good problem to have. but And also, you know, like, we've been making so many albums, as you say. Yeah. You know, there's that. Um, the Do Good Assassins are making a record right now on a four-track cassette machine. Yeah. Uh, that I, same one I had in 1985. I just bought one online.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, that's been amazing. Again, talking talking about the innate, I don't know, energy of a thing. Like, you know, like... I, the minute I plugged it in, I sort of smelt head cleaner, and I was just transported back to my parents' basement. Right yeah. when I started writing songs, yeah. so all of that energy just comes through your body. Yeah. So it's kind of un- unfair, you know. Like we talk about this about Shakespeare in My Butt as a record, is that you know we often call it the golden albatross because it's like we really made our mark with that record. Right. And as you say, people were in university, they didn't have kids, they didn't have responsibilities, they met right. the person that they might have later married or mm-hmm. stayed with, or they had this affair, or they had this fling, or, you know, they were just, uh, they felt super free, right? Yeah. So now, when they hear those songs, against songs that I wrote too. last week, yeah, you know, they can't, last week, they were worried about their mortgage, and they had yeah. to go pick up their kids at two different, you know, hockey and dance, that, yeah. and it's like, so, you know, the songs even don't have the same, yeah. you know, the Shakespeare songs are going, yeah, right on, man. <laughs>
0: and that's why, uh, I mean, I mean nostalgia is one of the most, I think, the most... Potent um, tools of anything. I thought um, you were going
1: to say drug because this has been is coming up. I know it right? is a
0: drug. It absolutely is a drug because it it takes you back to a simpler time. Yeah. Usually, and uh, uh, me as someone who grew up in the '90s, that's I mean anything '90s. Like if I go to a '90s party, I have the best night. Yeah. Of any party.
1: Um, well, you'll be surprised then when we did uh, the Shakespeare Remastered tour. I think yeah. like we did it in 2010. I was. On my bended knee, yeah. begging the guys to do it in period costume. Yeah, I was like, we got to do long yeah. johns, cut off army shorts, oh, yeah. wool socks, boots, yeah. a t shirt, another t shirt, a hoodie, and a toque. My yeah. daughter sees clips of that. So she's like, you're on stage under these lights. She's like, weren't you dying? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah I guess we yeah. were. Yeah, we didn't we didn't really about think about it. But nobody nobody in the band they were like, yeah. no, nah, I'm not going back to a hundred pounds of you know. Um, it's like we're yeah. storming Dieppe or something. We have a yeah. hundred. Pounds of pack on, on the stage.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's. I just had um, one of the guys from Prozac on this podcast, and that's like, they. we were talking about, they just did this rewind tour at uh, the, the Echo Beach. Mm-hmm. And it was like them and uh, Wigfield and Aqua, who are like literally, like, you ask someone now, they never heard of Aqua, but like, if you were my age and like so i, I went to this show on yeah. echo beach and i was like why was this the most fun i've had in ages um but literally it was everyone with the everyone was within almost like a seven year age gap yeah because that's when you, you know they were that age when they listened to it and so uh yeah nostalgia i always think is like one of the most powerful tools you can use yeah against anyone yeah yeah
1: yeah so that's I say if we release a record this year it has to stand up against Shakespeare in my butt which is kind of unfair to ask of it it's true and um, but the other thing is you know we're our own worst enemies because when we compiled this this box set it popped out of my mouth before I could stop it. Then yeah. it was like Shakespeare in my box, and everybody laughed and they're like, "Oh, that's right. awesome!" Then I yeah. was like, "Is it? Is it awesome, or is it just the stupidest first thing I said, right?" But, and it but was sometimes like, that's the best. You know, I know the first
0: idea, the thing that pops in your head the most. And is that's your how English, Shakespeare
1: in right? my butt actually was English. named as well. The same thing, right? Yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a quick, stupid, misheard yeah. statement. And in Lowest to the Low as well. And it was kind of the, there seems to be a template, which is we come up with something like that, and then we come up, we're like, no, it can't be that. So we yeah. come up with 35 other th- ideas. And then on the 35th one, we go, no, I guess it's that one, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it was the first inspiration. So now it Shakespeare in my box. But what I w- would say is, you know, maybe we're doing ourselves a disservice in that we're doubling down on that being the, you know, the anchor stone of the whole thing. Uh, right. The, right which is true it is I mean it's not like it isn't but it's just sort of like when you when you try to crawl out from under that thing that was very successful and again it's another I'm, I'm saddled with all but, these good problems to have but. right that's I, I was going to
0: say it's like it's the same uh, it's the same with, even with any band even like a, a band with a huge discography like take Pearl Jam or whatever it's like 10 is still their,
1: their yeah they gotta play their,
0: their, corn, you know, their cornerstone yeah um I, mean, I think any band's almost
1: like that, you know? so but, For sure. Um, yeah. Well, I, I just took my daughter to see Paul McCartney last, or two summers ago oh, in yeah. Chicago, and he played seven million songs. Right. And I, on our I way out, that, yeah. these two stoner dudes were walking beside us, and the guy goes, I can't believe you didn't play Get Back. <laughs> And I was like, like, really? He just a played 7,000. Yeah. He played for three hours. Yeah, yeah. And he's 73 God, years God, old at the time, right? Even, I
0: heard yeah. Elton John, too, did like a three and a half hour set. But someone is disappointed that he didn't play it Play that. I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. And he, actually, his new record's pretty good. That's know.
1: what I'm hearing. He yeah. seems to have one every five years. I remember about five years ago. Well, uh, like, I think uh, now
0: he's, he's free, you know? He can make whatever
1: he but wants. But like even Pitchfork was like, this is a good record. It man. is a good, good record.
0: yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. From
1: the guy who wrote silly love songs. Yeah. And then all that other stuff. Yeah. Before that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyways, we I guess mean, we should. we could talk art and stuff all day, but um, so Shakespeare in my box that comes out Today's what the nineteenth, so in two days.
1: Yeah, it's, well, the the shows are in two days. I two think days. people uh, will get the boxes will get shipped to them. How do
0: how do people? Uh, order the box. They can
1: pre-or- the- they pre-order they pre it on uh, if they go to Okay, there will be a, a pre-order button which okay. will direct them to Warner's site and they okay. can buy the box set and they can buy tickets for the show on Wednesday. Okay,
0: well, it, it's, I mean, this 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 podcast will be, we're in the future. So okay. The, the shows will have happened unfortunately. Oh man, they were but, awesome. Yeah, they were fantastic.
1: <laughs> they were so awesome.
0: <laughs> uh, legendary. That's, yeah. Um, Two band uh, members went to the ed, hospital. The box set will be out, so of the low.com. Yeah, and uh, okay, excellent. Uh, Ron, thank you so much. For yeah, thank you, the time. man. It was a pleasure. Thank Cheers. You. The adamantium.